From the campus of Stanford University and on location, this is the Entrepreneur's Radio Show and Podcast featuring in-depth one-on-one interviews with purpose-driven entrepreneurs and high-performance game changers committed to extraordinary ideas, preeminence, and multi-generational success. Our radio show and podcast illuminates the struggles, breakthroughs, and exceptional outcomes these game changers bring to industries, organizations, and lives. Hosted by Tom Dioro, principal of Podfather Media. Thank you, Tatum. For our guest today, let's welcome Ben Suppet, founder and CEO of Unify Money. Unify Money is a savings and investing-focused fintech firm. By automating many of the manual tasks of everyday money management, their users uh, achieve a greater return on their money with less effort. For more information, feel free to visit unify.money, unify, U-N-I-F-I dot money. Ben, welcome. We're honored and uh, I'm really excited to have you on your show today. Thank you very much. Thank you for inviting me. It's a great pleasure. Ben, as we talked before uh, we came on the show, is love for you to share a quote, prayer, or mantra that you uh, is somewhat of a guiding essence for you during the day. Please, uh, please feel free to do so. Absolutely. Um, so I'm a first time founder. You know, relatively late in my career, I've spent 30 years in uh, corporate heldom working you know, on the grindstone, and I, I finally made the commitment to myself to, to follow, my, follow my path, my dreams. And it's a, it's a very special experience to be a founder. And I, there's a very unique, particularly in the Bay Area, there's a very unique community and support structure around founders, which I'm extremely grateful for. And I have an example. I, I went to a fintech meetup, and we were invited to write some form of encouragement on a piece of paper or a card and give it to anybody else in the room for them to open at a later date. I thought that was a bit cliquey and a bit weird, but uh, I did it anyway. I'd forgotten about it. And then my daughter found the card and I and asked me what it was. And it was actually a rather profound statement that I think really encapsulates the feeling of being a founder and the risks you take and the emotions you go through and the support as well. Um, so this is from a guy called Michael Can Jr. He's the CEO of Envelope Finance. First time I met him and the only time I've met him. Uh, and this is what he wrote. When anyone tells you that you are wrong, your business will never succeed, that you have no idea what you are talking about, even if they are eminent and well-known, do not just accept what they tell you as the truth. They may be right, but very often they are not. Mm. And Excellent. that's it. Excellent. Ben, on that, it'll segue into perceptions. It's interesting that initially your perception was, oh, this kind of, it's kind of uh, a little strange, you know, to, to do this. But then it turns out something that you thought was a bit strange at the beginning turns out to be quite uh, momentous for you. Yeah, it, it's like one of those, you know, you go to a party and someone has uh, or, 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 a, or a, some sort of event and they have those warm up sessions and you feel terribly awkward and doing something that, um, you know, is a bit is a bit strange and odd and unexpected. And then you do it and then actually it works. Speaking of that works so much is Unify Money. I love uh, uh, it's, it's like a byline high performance banking. How and what inspired you to put together a company that uh, had high performance banking as a, as a presence? 
So, uh, you know, honestly speaking, we are still very much working on how we communicate our value proposition to consumers. And it's a it's an organic process. Uh, you know, we don't have a team of 100 professional marketers. It's 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 a team of people who are working together all for sweat equity. You know, we're all in it because we love it and we believe in it. And we 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 want the mission to succeed. And I have a very, very strong growth hacking guy. And I used to do marketing many years ago. And, and you, you know, it was pretty traditional stuff, TV, press, uh, brand onions, brand pyramids, messaging houses, all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. And I was stressing about how do we communicate this? How do we you know, this complicated proposition uh, where we're combining all of these different elements of financial services that are traditionally kept very separate, marketed separately, and uh, are, are in splendid isolation of each other. And he said, Ben, Ben, you're overthinking it. Just, just, just test, just test, 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 put out a thousand different pieces of content, 10,000 different landing pages, whatever it takes and, and let consumers guide you. And that's really the essence of, of digital marketing, growth hacking, experimental marketing, technical marketing. And the beauty of being a startup is that to create content costs us almost nothing. You know, we create really amazing videos. Uh, we're actually working now to create our own videos. We're going to be, this is, this is, I haven't shared this at all really, but I'll, I'll, I'll come to back. I'll come back to what we're doing. Remind sure. me if I forget, but I'll, I'll, I'll tell you one of the, one of the ideas we have, but basically experimentation is very easy for us. And it's not just the low cost of creating content is because we don't have a whole bunch of um, people telling us we can't do stuff. And if you've spent any time in a corporate environment, 99% of the people there are em- employed and empowered to say no or to, to send you back and say, no, you need to do a- this. And this isn't, this isn't our brand persona. This isn't the right f- uh, color of black. Um, it's just really irritating, r- irrelevant, uh, busy work. And that's what in my experience, you know, 99% of the people in most big companies, that's that's what they're empowered to do is say no. And it's the 1% who actually get 99% of the work done. And in a startup environment, we are the 99%. You know, we're the 99% who get the 99% done. We, you know, we, we, we can afford to take risks. We can afford to try 20 different shades of white and 20 different shades of black. And no one's going to stop us. And what that means is that we can be educated by our consumers. And that's very, that's very, very powerful because the old model of marketing is you go spend six months, 50 people, headquarters approve it, brand police approve it, lawyers approve it, compliance approves it. And you're, you know, six to nine months down the road, you finally get to put that single static page up on Facebook. Oh, and it's the wrong, it's, it doesn't work. Oh, okay. So let's, let's start again. Let's go through that whole process again. I worked for a company, the last company I worked in, it cost us $10,000 to create a single static Facebook ad, Oh my! which, which I can produce better. And these were black and white. There was no proprietary photography. It was text. Would you believe black and white text with a product shot? And it would cost $10,000 and at least three months to get a single static Facebook ad out. We can do 50 Facebook posts animated in less than 30 minutes for about $10. So that's the beauty of working in a startup is that you you can actually be, you can genuinely engage with your consumers at scale and at low cost and high speed. And you can be led and, and informed by them, not by what they say, but by what they do. 
And that's really the beauty of experimental marketing. And it, it's incredibly invigorating that you can actually test different ideas, different ways of talking, different imagery, and the behavior that it elicits, you can you can test that for five, ten, twenty dollars a day on Facebook very, very effectively or any other digital channel. So the landing page is what it is today. We're actually changing that to be more specific and calling out our uh, it could be as, as early as today. We're actually going to be specifically calling out who we're who we're serving, who we're seeking to serve, which is high earning professionals. And you know, that's implicit today. But in talking to people and getting feedback and doing our experimental marketing, the feedback we have is that our customers want to know that this service is designed specifically for the needs of of affluent millennials. So we're going to say it and we'll see how that performs. And no doubt we'll try different iterations as well. Excellent, Ben. You're listening to the Entrepreneur's Radio Show and Podcast on KCSU Stanford 90.1 FM. We're talking today with Ben Suppet, founder and CEO of Unify Money. For more information, you're free to visit unify.money. That's U-N-I-F-I dot money. Ben, you, you, you're sharing with us the strategy, tactics, your experience uh, in the past, present, which is obviously if, impacting and um, enriching your existing culture. How much do you believe that courage has to play in executing and implementing and iterating? Just human courage. I talk to a lot of people who want to be founders, who are who are uh, planning to be founders, who are founders, and we all share the same experience, which is it's a very lonely experience. It's very stressful. You give up the opportunity of, uh, you know, proper employment and the security that provides. You get a huge amount in exchange for that. And frankly, I wouldn't give it up for anything. I think I learned that I spent 30 years as an entrepreneur trapped, trapped in a corporate drone body. Um, I, I was never fully understanding why I never really enjoyed corporate life, but I now understand why. And some people reach that conclusion earlier in their career. And I'll be honest, I, you know, I've learned a ton and I've worked for some excellent companies and with some amazing people. I've also worked for the opposite. And the net, the net, net is I'd rather work with people who choose to work with each other rather than people who are paid to be in a room to be, you know, uh, to, to, to be with each other and, and pursue a shared vision. It's in, incredibly empowering and, and energizing. But the hardest thing is, is that first step. And, you know, it's, it's the small things that really kill you. It's when you meet someone and they go, you know, what's the first thing you say to someone when you meet them? You probably say, hey, what do you do? Mm-hmm. Yes. And it's like, uh, I don't have a good answer for that. Um, you know, what's going to be on your LinkedIn profile when there's this gap and you're figuring stuff out? You know, for a long period, my wife, you know, people would say, oh, what, is, what does Ben do now? And my wife would say, oh, he's unemployed. And I'm like, no, I'm, I'm the CEO of a bank. You know, this is, this is very yeah. different. It takes six to nine months. It took me six to nine months to get used to it. I guess everyone's different. But my journey was it took six to nine months. I was, I was calling myself a founder and not really feeling it. Uh, I'm not sure at what point, I really came into that persona. It wasn't when we raised money. It was sometime before that. I think it was maybe when we started building things. And and I would actually say I'm I'm an accidental founder. I I, had, I knew what I wanted to build. I knew what the opportunity was in the market that nobody else was seeing. I knew how to realize that opportunity. But I assumed somebody would employ me to do that for them, and I would get that nice salary and all that safety and security. It didn't happen. 
And then I met my co-founder and I think he didn't realize that I was faking it. And uh, he started building stuff and he started, you know, finding developers for us to work with. And it wasn't his idea. He came in six months after I started, but he was really the catalyst for making it happen. And that's, you know, that's the power of teamwork and that's the power of the people that you meet and the network you build. It, it's really, it's, it's never one person. It's the enabling function of having people around you. With Unify Money, I'll go back to the high-performance banking. You've got one account with high-yield checking, credit card investing. What? How did you make this so robust in such a quick period of time? We're working with with very very mature businesses. You know, financial services is not something you can wake up and do some coding and put an app up. It's a it's a very complicated ecosystem. It's incredibly uh, compliant and risk averse and conservative. So you need to find those companies that have all of that in spades, but are also, despite all the pressure not to do anything new, not to try anything different, are still capable of innovating with you and seeing a path forward. And it's it's less to do with the companies. Um, it's, it's partly to do with the companies, but it's also to do with the people that you find. And that's almost entirely accidental. And it's a numbers game. You need to talk to 10,000 people and you'll find five that share your vision and want to take those risks. Um, so I would say networking, networking, network, networking, networking, both digitally and, and in person, uh, pre-COVID, post-COVID. And we found an amazing partner in UMB Bank. It's a 108-year-old bank. It's $26 billion in assets. It's publicly listed. You wouldn't expect it to be uh, a great enabler of fintech innovation, but it is. And it's because of the people we're working with. So we get all the benefits of that history and that compliance and rigor, but we also get a mindset that is a, that's a can-do mindset. You know, everyone expects us to be working with some hotshot bank-as-a-service platform with you know, cutting-edge APIs and, and everything else. All those companies on their back end, they've got a very, very small bank with very limited resources. So we chose to go direct to the, one of the biggest uh, fintech banks out there and, and integrate with them direct uh, and get all the benefit of that direct relationship. We're also working with brands like Visa. You know, it doesn't get much bigger than that in financial services. Uh, I used to work at Visa. We also talked to MasterCard and, and you know, ended up working and partnering with Visa because we felt that they were going to give us the best opportunity to get the best of, best of both worlds. And in financial services, there's, there's, you know, if you go too much towards the old model or, too, or, or, or go too hacky, you're not going to succeed. You have to have a one foot in the old world and one foot in the new and try and create something that is um, greater than the sum of those parts. Yeah. People is a great quote I've found of yours as well. People and relationships are a more important legacy than anything you do or make. Can you share with us what that means to you and why uh, why you believe this? Um. So that's a that's a that's a, interesting. You chose that. Um, you know, there's there's a, a million quotes online about this sort of thing, but it's, you know, no one remembers what you built to an extent. Certainly no one in a corporate knows or remembers what you built. Um, and most of us don't get the opportunity to build one thing that is singularly, you know, great and remembered. You know, the, the guy who invented Facebook, the guy who invented Google, everyone remembers them, but that's that's like the one in a billion. And the one thing that that endures is relationships and i have called in more favors and relationships in the last 12 months than the past 47 years and the it's amazing you know help comes from the most unexpected places 
you can give help in the most unexpected places. But, but there's another side to that, which is quite often the people you expect that you felt maybe you had a, a connection or relationship with in the past. Quite often, surprisingly, when it comes to push comes to shove, they, they, they're not there. But I, I have to say it's, it's in, you know, it, your best friends are the ones are, that are around when you need them. I, I've, I've learned through various channels that there's, there's less, there's no risk to reaching out. You know, I actually started my whole journey by a, a friend of mine told me, start writing on Medium. That'll, that'll stimulate you. That'll get you people reacting. Cause I, you know, I, I had lots of ideas, but it wasn't very well formulated. So he was a journalist. So I said, well, that's easy for you. You're a journalist. It's easy for you to write, but I haven't written since school, you know, Excel and PowerPoint is as much as I've been doing the last few decades. And I write I started writing on medium and I write it. I, I wrote what I knew about. And then I knew I wrote what I was interested in. And then I found new topics as I went forward. And, and that was probably the, 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 the easiest way for me to really synthesize my thinking, but also get feedback from other people and link to other people. And I would put that on LinkedIn, I would put it on Facebook. And that was a way that I really powered my, my networking, trying to find like-minded people. They could disagree with me. They could disagree with my points. That was all fine. But the fact they were willing to engage in debate. And I'd say, you know, a great many of the people that we're working with now have come through that method. And I, you know, we, we announced our funding a few weeks ago. I must have had 2,000 messages on LinkedIn from salespeople. And wow. I know a lot of people get really bugged by that. But I'm hustling all the time. I'm hustling VCs. I'm hustling companies to help us. I'm doing the same. So I do my best. I put a little bit of time every weekend to respond to those inquiries and, and politely tell them, you know, it's not right for us at the moment, but but I appreciate you reaching out. And I'm not offended by the fact you've written me five messages in the last two weeks because you're hustling and I get it. And it's yeah. it's, 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 it's part of the process. And you know, we're all doing it to one extent or another, or should be doing it. If you care about what you're doing, you're going to hustle. Um, so I never apologize for hustling. And I never get annoyed for people hustling me. And I you never know those people might come back and I may be able to help them and they may be able to help me. I'm, and I'm very much alert to the fact that that it's going to be the people who help you in the future, as it is in the past. And it doesn't cost too much just to be nice and respond and respectful. Ben, the uh did the market help you or did you decide that high earning professionals were going to be the, the, the people that you ideally would like to work with? So there's, there's two real reasons why we're working with high earning professionals. So these are people earning 100, 150,000 plus. It's young doctors, young lawyers, people working in finance and tech, you know, disproportionately concentrated in major cities like San Francisco, Los Angeles, New York, Austin, etc. There are over 70 challenger banks in the US today. They are all focused on people earning less than $25,000. And they all have a very similar generic product set and go-to-market strategy. So these are the Monzos, the Revoluts, the Chimes, the Varos, etc., and and another 68 of them. And nobody was um, focusing on affluent millennials. And from a purely commercial basis, I, I took the path where I saw the least competition. Obviously, the big banks, particularly the top dead 10 banks, the Chases, the Wells, the B of A's, this is their bread and butter. This is where they make the vast majority of their profits. And uh, I think it's Jeff Bezos who said, your margin is my opportunity. Uh, banks don't make much margin on you know, uh, uh, subprime consumers. They make all their margin on the, on the mass affluent. And that is what I saw as the opportunity. Plus, there were no other fintech players in that market. And I felt that technology, the, the younger you are, 
the, the more affluent you are, you tend to, it tends to be very highly indexing with uh, being very mobile, engaged, technically engaged. You have an you, you don't have that complicated a financial life. Uh, we found that boomers, particularly particularly affluent boomers, w- wouldn't accept that they were doing it wrong. That there was a better way to do it. You know, they mm-hmm. they had their seventeen different accounts in different places. They'd been doing it for thirty years. Nobody could tell them how to manage money because clearly they were affluent and successful. But we found that millennials, you know, were, were much more open minded. They was they were seeking alternatives. They were unhappy with the poor value for money and undifferentiated products from the from the banks. So that from a purely commercial perspective, that's that's where we focused. The other component is, you know, I've I've done I, I've launched a digital bank in Indonesia focused on uh, banking the unbanked. I've, I've spent my time in emerging markets and other markets doing uh, financial inclusion, and it's it's a it's a very worthy and proper approach. But I I also believe everybody deserves the right to financial resilience. Um, I think what COVID has done is it's 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 made an entire generation aware that bad things happen to good people. There were people very successful in their careers, working at very well-established, successful companies that suddenly found themselves unemployed. And nobody is taking financial resilience for granted, no matter who they are. And you know, our ultimate value proposition is trying to increase the probability and the speed to achieving financial resilience. So I think our message has become much, much more relevant and pertinent and explicit post-COVID than it was pre-COVID. But the strategy hasn't changed. COVID hasn't changed anything that we're doing other than make, I think, our model, you know, more by luck than judgment. But our model has really become, I think, much, much more powerful and relevant and easy to understand um, in a market that up to this point, fintech has really been focused, at least in the challenger bank space, on banking the unbanked or the underbanked. Whereas I actually believe the people who are suffering most in terms of how much money they're losing and how much the banks are exploiting them is the mass the mass affluent and the more money we put back to the mass affluent these are people who are going to be spending money on mortgages on cars on on gas on groceries on services and eating out it's they're the people who are driving the economy um, you know the super rich have their own ways of pre- pre- preserving their their wealth um, but the mass affluent don't so we wanted to bring um, those the advantages of increased efficiency and accelerated financial resilience to mass affluent. This is the Entrepreneur's Radio Show and Podcast on KZSU Stanford 90.1 FM. Our public service announcement is for the uh, Ocean Foundation. The Ocean Foundation is the uh, only community foundation for the ocean. It's a 501c3 mission, and its mission is to support, strengthen, and promote organizations dedicated to reversing the trend of destruction of ocean environments around the world. And uh, the website you can go to is uh, oceanfdn.org. Again, oceanfdn.org. We're talking today with Ben Suppet founder and CEO of Unify Money. For more information, feel free to visit their website at unify.money. That's U-N-I-F-I dot money. Ben, can you share with us your experience with the Ocean Foundation, especially uh, a lot of great parts of that, but the cards you actually um, issue are from recycled ocean, is it 
material? Uh, recovered ocean-bound plastic. So plastic that is either on the beach or on the way into the ocean or from the ocean. So it's 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 any and all of those uh, plastic that will, would ultimately end up in the in the oceans. It's it's recovered and and repurposed into these cards. Um, so we made that decision uh, a because we think it's the right thing to do and it's cool, um, but also because we see the whole market going to metal cards and. Metal cards, it's it's a way of signaling affluence. You know, 21 years ago, the first metal card was the Amex Black, which was a genuinely exclusive product. Now everybody either, ha- either has a metal card or a faux metal card, and most people don't know the difference. To us, you know, uh, choosing your, your credit card on the basis of its weight seems like a really stupid idea. You know, it's a utility product. In the 1970s, fine, it was a, a way of signaling affluence. Um, we 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 think our, we want to be a more intelligent, considered brand, um, and and where we have the opportunity to be a good steward in our community and in our environment, we want to make those decisions. So it was an easy decision to use ocean recycled, uh, sorry, recovered ocean plastic. But we also wanted to make it um, easy for our our customers to engage at a broader level with ocean health. So if you think about our customer base, they're disproportionately based in San Francisco, LA, and New York, all of which are ocean cities. And so we felt it was a really good uh, fit that every time you use our card, we have a sponsorship program with the Ocean Foundation. Every time you use our card, we donate to the Ocean Foundation. So it doesn't put any stress or, or, or requirement on our customers, but they can feel better. And hopefully it keeps it top of mind in that, you know, not only are they not doing, you know, something a little clueless, like using a metal card and, and, and choosing their card by weight, but they actually are contributing in a small but important way. And it's very it's very synergistic with our overall model, which is it's the small things that you do every day over years that leads to financial resilience. You don't build financial resilience as, as in environmental resilience is not built in a day, a week, or a month. It's built in years and decades. And it's the small actions that we all make individually and together that really move oceans and move markets. And, and so there was a lot of synergy between that model and our model generally. Plus, we just thought it was cool. Yeah, the fine. Go back to the financial resilience. I really liked it when you said that. Is that's not something um, I don't recall hearing about, and uh, it really resonates. Is uh, the financial resilience? Yeah. So that I mean, that's that's the ability to survive and and thrive and recover from setbacks. Whether they're individual setbacks, you have an accident, you get fired unexpectedly, or your company goes bust, or the there's the you know I, I worked at Fitbit and I, I joined Fitbit oh. when this share price was like five dollars, and I and I said, why is everyone so depressed? It's like, and someone said, well, bear in mind, two months ago they were all multimillionaires when the share price was at fifty, and everyone expected it to go to a hundred dollars, and now you know, they're just hoping it's going to be worth anything. Um, These are, you know, no one expects that to happen, but it does. And, you know, COVID has shown us bad things happen to good people all the time. Financial resilience is the ability to survive, recover and sustain yourself, your your family, your lifestyle. And so you get a you get another chance without, you you know, without dipping into a, a place that you can't recover from. So for me, for example, I've been working without a salary for a year and a half. Uh, building what I love, and the only reason I can do that is because I've spent almost thirty years now, um, you know, working in a in, in in an environment and was able to save that money and create a cushion that has enabled me to to pursue my dreams. If I hadn't done that, I wouldn't be able to do that. I wouldn't be able to feed my kids, let alone you know, clothe them clothe them nicely. <laughs> How about the meaning for you? Your personal experience with it, 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 bad things happen to good people. 
How about you in your life that made you go, I do not want other people to feel what I've felt? Because there must have been some sort of pain that you've felt to go, I don't like this, and I don't think a lot of other people like it. And I know when they're trying to do well for themselves, their family, their lives, future generations, it's got to be vital. What, what really galvanizing moment or moments affected you to take such action? Yeah, uh, absolutely. I, you know, I've been in situations where I've, I've wanted to do something else. I feel I've been stuck in a job. I've worked at companies that were clearly failing. And it was a matter of when are you going to jump, not if. I've been laid off more than once. And it's almost impossible to judge when these things happen. The only logical, rational strategy in life is to build up your resilience in all aspects of your life, whether it's emotional resilience, uh, financial resilience, physical resilience, health, because you know the odds are something bad is going to happen at some point, and you're going to have very little control over that external uh, impact. But how you respond to it is something you can prepare for. So it's not exactly doomsday preppers, but it's a similar mentality in that be be prepared. And um, you know, if you're one of those lucky people that nothing bad happens to and nothing unexpected happens to, you know, honestly, some of the best changes in my life have been after the worst setbacks. I don't regret any of the you know quote unquote bad things that happened to me because it set me on a completely different path, and I I feel now that there's nothing I can't survive. And that's resilience. And I, I wish that on on anyone, um, particularly now in that so many people are struggling with being laid off in, in relatively early, t- you know, an early part of their career. They thought they were going to be at Uber or Airbnb or whoever it might be, and then move into, you know, whatever path they expected, that path isn't going to happen. It's going to be a different path. But I hope and expect, and my experience has been that quite often, the it's the darkest moments that actually define you. Oh, Ben, you are a conscious soul. The ideas you have, you shared at the early, uh, the beginning of uh, your show is you had some ideas that you wanted to touch on. If, I don't know if... Uh, I'm oh, yeah. So we're going we're gonna to be the first bank in the world to have uh, an in, in-house video comedy sketch team. Outstanding. And our, and our, first, uh, our first video, we're working with a young comedy team that specializes in corporate parody videos. They did a fantastic one on COVID-19. And that's what I saw. I saw it on LinkedIn. And I saw it on Reddit. And it was exactly the type of, you know, talk, talking truth to power type of content. It was also, you know, there's not a lot of humor in finance. So why not? Yeah, it's one of our experiments. We're going we're gonna to do a short video poking fun at uh, financial services companies and financial services and, and how we think about it. And if it's successful and people like it, we'll continue to do it. Ben, is there anything we may not, well, there's a lot, but uh, anything at least for today's show that we may not have touched on that uh, you feel is important would like to share? Oh, a whole ton. I think I, 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 any, anyone who's considering being, um, I, I'll leave you one final thought, and this is, this is from our head of growth hacking, again, who's a, a, an interesting individual who, who gives me many of my best ideas. But he said to me, because I, I was getting a lot, because I was doing all this medium writing, and I was, you know, we were very, very public about what we were trying to achieve. And a couple of founders said to me, you know, shouldn't you be in stealth? Shouldn't you be a stealth startup so people don't steal your ideas? And I was like, oh, I hadn't thought about that. You know, the ideas are just ideas. It's the execution that's hard. And, you know, we were doing this to to bring people together with us and find collaborators and partners in the market. So we weren't being pretty explicit about it. He said to me, no startup ever died from being too loud. 
And I and I really took that to heart. So uh, I really throw out the whole concept of stealth startup. I think it's arrogance. And you, you, you hear about these stealth startups and then they launch and like, oh, <laughs> yes, that, that that's it. That was your big idea. It's like the same as 20 other companies uh, with a different font. So the best, you know, the, it's ideas are cheap. Um, test them, be public about them, uh, write about them, get feedback and criticism on them and, and build a better product because uh, the ideas are worthless. And the, and the whole concept of the Stealth Startup, I've completely uh, rejected. Ben, it's been a real honor and pleasure having you on uh, your show today. Uh, thank you very much. And I hope you consider coming back real soon. It's, uh, as you said, you tons still to talk about and it seems like you're growing leaps and bounds daily. So thank you very much. It was an absolute pleasure and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for the opportunity. It's been great talking to you too. Thank you, Ben. You've been listening to the Entrepreneur's Radio Show and Podcast. Our guest today has been Ben Suppet, founder and CEO of Unify Money. Unify Money is a savings and investing-focused fintech firm. They automate many of the manual tasks of everyday money management. Their users can achieve a better return on their money with less effort. For more information, feel free to visit unify.money again unify.money and that's u-n-i-f-i dot money join us again next time when we welcome another purpose-driven entrepreneur or high-performing game changer committed to ideas positive outcomes and a better world i'm tom dior the entrepreneur's radio show and podcast is recorded at stanford university studios in palo alto california and on location the Chief Audio Engineer is Aris Chikopoulos. Chief Engineer is Mark Lawrence, and we are all assisted by Peter Caroline and Omar L. Sabrao. And the executive producer and host of The Entrepreneur's Show is Tom Dior. If you wish to contact us, our email is interviews at kzsu.stanford.edu. Again, that's interviews at kzsu.stanford.edu.